this week on Dig Me Out. But I'm richer by far With a satisfied mind With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Now, Jay, we've, we've been publicizing this for the last couple of weeks. This is the week that Brainiac's Transmissions After Zero comes out on DVD and Video On Demand. You can get it at iTunes, Amazon, Vimeo. This is, of course, our friend Eric Mahoney, who was in bands when we were in bands back in the, in the 2000s, in the aughts. And uh, he's gone on. He's a filmmaker. He's got a great documentary that was out last year. It was touring the country. I saw it here when it was here in Columbus, actually. And really interesting look at Brainiac, the band from Dayton. He's also got a release show that week, or this week, at the Market Hotel in Brooklyn with Manor Astroman, uh, DJ Tim Harrington from Less Savvy Fav, and the Monograms. You can find out more information at BrainiacFilm.com. You can also go to Facebook, Instagram, IMDb, that kind of stuff. We're happy to support uh, Ohio music and Ohio filmmakers and all that kind of fun stuff that uh, the Buckeye State produces. We'll have to, we'll have to at some point, Jay, um, there'll have to be an Austin band so we can represent your town as well. <laughs> There, <clears throat> there's a few out there. Yeah. Butthole Surfers, maybe. Uh, do they have a movie yet? No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Speaking of Patreon, uh, uh, from earlier, we have one of our patrons with us. He's been here before. He's back again. Welcome, Peter Matheson, back to the show. Hey, Peter, how are you? Hi, guys. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me back. So folks might remember remember you from such episodes as This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours by the Manic Street Preachers or Everclear by American Music Club, which it was serendipitous when we did that episode last year because about a week later I interviewed Mark Eitzel for, uh, I think it was a week later, uh, for a book I'm working on and uh, just sort of randomly happened at the same time. Nice. So yeah, that, yeah, I remember mentioning that. Glad it glad it happened. Yes. So still working on it. Probably gonna take me like ten years at this point because uh, <laughs> it's a it's a long it's a slog. I I got I got it over my head. I'm not gonna lie. There's a lot to cover. So you got over your head. I did slightly. Weird. You know Sli- why? Why? Because you're not working with me on it. That's true. Well, let's let's put it this way. I have a novel coming out in August, and it only took me nine years for that to, to come about. So, yeah. And in that same amount of time, Jay and I did 470 episodes of of Dig Me Out. You need a buddy to keep you in check. I do. I think we, I think we all do. I do. I need a writing partner for, for going forward. So, Peter, this time around for 2020... Tell everyone the album you have selected and why you picked it. Sure. Um, so I've picked uh, The Walkabouts, um, a band from Seattle 
uh, sadly no longer around. Um, but I chose their cover versions record. It's called Satisfied Mind, uh, one of two cover versions records they have, actually. Uh, they came out in 1993. Um, and I'm not ordinarily a huge fan of cover versions records. Um, but the reason I selected this was it was my kind of gateway into this band. It was the, the first uh, album of theirs that I I purchased and, and listened to. Um, so I kind of wanted to, to just kind of revisit my introduction to this group because they're really one of my all-time favourite bands. Not very well recognised in this country at all. Um, got a bit more recognition in Europe. Um, but I wanted to, to talk about, about this album. And, and there's lots of interesting things about this record, I think, in terms of the song choice and some of the guest appearances also. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the history of this band. History of the band. This is interesting. So the band was formed by, is it Carla Torgensen? And yeah, totally. and Chris Ekman. They started playing together in the early 80s when they were at college. And they joined forces with um, Chris's two younger brothers, Grant and Kurt. And they began playing around um, in, in Seattle, like you mentioned. And they, they had some lineup changes. Um, Kurt left the band after their first EP and was replaced by Michael Wells. Um, I, didn't, I didn't say who, who plays what. So... Um, in terms of what they were playing. So Chris Ekman is guitar and vocals. Carla Torgensen is also guitar and vocals. Um, Kurt Ekman was playing bass, and Grant Ekman was playing drums at this point. So they're a four-piece when they start out. And uh, they're the. what's interesting is so they put out a couple of EVPs, and then they, find, they signed a sub-pop, and they're the first non-grunge band that was signed to sub-pop. And they put out their first sub-pop album, I believe, in 1989, which is Cataract. And then that's followed up by Rag and Bone in 1990 and Scavenger in 1991. They actually left sub-pop in the United States in 92, but sub-pop had opened a European branch. And they stayed signed to the European sub-pop to release New West Motel in 1993. Um satisfied mind followed by that also 93 and then setting the woods on fire in 1994 so like you mentioned about them being popular in the uk more so than the united states they were actually a a signed band (laughs) over in the uk while not being uh so here i think they released their albums in the u.s on um must have been i don't know maybe they were only available in imports but you could not, uh, you, they weren't available through a uh, regular sub pop. And then um, they, they added, they changed bass players. Uh, so Michael Wells was the bass player up until like 96. He was replaced by John Baker Saunders. Jay, does that name ring a bell? No. He was in Mad Season. Oh, okay. He was the bass player in Mad oh. Season. And he passed away in 99 at the age of 44. Mm. So, and I remember when he was in Mad Season, because this kind of overlapped a little bit with, I mean, Mad Season was only for, a, you know, a recording project and they played a couple of shows. But I remember him, like, following up years later and being like, oh, what's the walkabouts? I've never heard of that band. But he played up until his, his passing. And then he was replaced by Joe Skyward, 
Jay, does that name ring a bell? No. He was the bass player for a period of time in Sunday Real Estate, I believe. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's like a who's who of Seattle. Yes. And Posies. And the Posies, yes. I think he's one of those like guys who played in a bunch of different bands. Was Duff McKagan ever in this band? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Oh. Um, so for a period of time, um, so the Grant Ackman left as the drummer in 91 and was replaced by Terry Moeller. Um, in 2000 to like 2001, Terry Moeller left the band and was replaced by Brian Young. Brian Young had played in um, a bunch of bands, including Posies. He's, he played on Amazing Disgrace. He played in Fountains of Wayne. He played in Jesus and Mary Chain. Well, he, he plays in Jesus and Mary Chain. He's now the drummer in Jesus and Mary Chain. Um, he's also played with Jim Carroll, The Long Winters, Burt Bacharach. So I guess kind of a like a journeyman slash, you know, studio. I, I would say studio, but like hired gun type drummer. Um, and then uh, they added at one point another guitar player, Paul Austin. And um, Glenn Slater came in at one point. Has, has been Well, they broke up in 2015. But he was a, the keyboard player for basically 89 to the end of the band. Um, so, and then, Peter, you mentioned on this record, there are some guests. Do you want to mention who some of the guests are on this record? It's good. It's interesting. Yeah, sure. So um, you have Peter Buck from R.E.M. Um, playing the mandolin. Um you have Mark Lanigan, then of the Screaming Trees. Yep. Uh, so he's on there too. Um, and then you also have, um, I'm not really familiar with the work of this this group other than the, the song on this record and a couple of other things, but um, uh, Ivan, is it Kral or Kral from the Patti Smith group? Yeah, um, I understand that's the way, unfortunately, um, uh, earlier this week, I think. Yeah, just so. this week. So yeah, um, so yeah. Uh, and then there's Terry Lee Hale and uh, Laddie Barrett as well, who are, are probably less recognizable names, but um, but uh, yeah, they've got a fair few friends. Yeah, and I think that's has something to do with you know Peter Buck had a instrumental band in the '90s with I think Barrett Martin from uh, was he in Screaming Trees? Um, yeah, like Tuatara, I think was the name of that band. Yeah, that sounds that sounds familiar. And I think you know, there's a lot of connection between those those Seattle bands and uh, a various odd Seattle bands that not not Nirvana and not Pearl Jam, but some of the other bands that um, have connections to REM and Peter Buck and Scott McConaughey and the Minus Five and and those kind of things. So, Jay, had you had you ever heard of the Walkman? The Walkman, the Walkabouts. <laughs> I've heard of the Walkman, yes. Uh, I've heard the name, um, but knew nothing about them. And even listening to the record, I wouldn't have pieced together they were from Seattle. Did you think they were from Australia? Um, my thoughts were either Australia or UK, yeah. honestly. I, I was thinking of, uh, what was that band we reviewed a couple? Hank Dogs? Uh, yeah, that band came to mind. Yes, I definitely had that same 
feeling initially when I was just listening to it and I didn't do any research. Oh. And then when I did the research, I was like, oh, and it started like connecting all these dots that I had not like thought of. So let's get into it. Let's talk about Satisfied Mind, which is an entirely a covers record. We'll talk about. Did you know that, Jay? That this is all I did, covers? I did not know. Every song is a cover. Gotcha. On this record. Um, some of them are, are well-known folks, and, and some of them are, are not well-known in terms of the, the musician. And, and, you know, you'd probably have to know a lot more um, traditional country and folk and stuff like that to know some of the songs. But tell me one thing, Jay, you liked about Satisfied Mind by The Walkabouts. I really like uh, the interplay on, you know, it's mostly quiet-ish music. I love the interplay between the piano um, and then the oftentimes guitar, but sometimes other instruments that kind of poke in and out. And there's this really just seemingly simple um, kind of bounce between kind of the two instruments. A lot of times they'll use a pedal steel or some kind of slide which then I think for a lot of the songs gives you like this response to the vocal, which is kind of nice. Um, so it's almost like this crying in the background, you know, mm-hmm. and, and most of the stuff is based on either some kind of folk or country kind of, you know, root in terms of the songs um, for the most part, um, which then works really well. Um, yeah, there's a lot of cool instrumentation on this. Some distorted guitar makes its way onto the record towards the end. There's even like, I think a distorted violin um, at one point. That's pretty cool. Um, there's some organ and keyboards in here that are a little, you know, surprising um, in the way they pop out. So, you know, the songwriting is obviously, you know, better than something like Hank Dogs uh, that we reviewed not too long ago. Yeah. I mean, that's obvious out of the, the gate. Um, so, if learning this is a, this is a cover record. Um, it was a little surprising, just I didn't hadn't thought of that, but definitely the the quality of the songwriting is um, is really high. You know, a lot of these tend to be like story songs, um, characters and narrative, which um, fits this type of genre, this style, obviously in the presentation. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a nice headphone listen. It's a good like kind of mellow. I you know was listening to it a lot this weekend. It's a good like Saturday, Sunday morning kind of record. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I found myself yep. getting older, I'm more and more into like, like traditional country style music. So, um, it connect with me on that level too. I cash them in and buy you all the things you need. Every night before See them dollar bills go swirling round my bed. I know they're stolen, but I don't feel bad. I'll take that money, buy you things you never had. Thank you. 
Yeah, I, I loved hearing uh, Carla Torgensen sing. Uh, I just like the the range of her voice. Yeah, it, it reminded me a little. There's some Loretta Lynn in her voice that I hear, and some and some. I don't know that some of that stuff that I just like I grew up with that I didn't really know what I was listening to when I was a kid, but I remember hearing that. I hate to say it was because of Hee Haw, but it probably <laughs> was. Oh yeah, that, yeah. you know, like because I didn't have a a good yeah. Um, I didn't have any sort of family support system as far as music went like nobody in my family was like really into music so i just discovered yeah. music wherever it came from so when i heard you know country or folk or anything like that it was usually because of television or movies mm. because obviously like you know early mtv wasn't playing anything like that so and then i would <laughs> no right so <laughs> so it would be from Stuff like that, but I I, re, I I remember like Loretta Lynn being like a presence at yeah. that time. Like she was this because the eighties were weird for country music. It seemed like you know in terms of transitioning from like the outlaw country of of uh, Johnny Cash and and Waylon and w- Willie Nelson. I remember I remember my grandparents really liking Willie Nelson a lot, mm-hmm. and them having a lot of Willie Nelson records at their house. But that was, but that but it was weird because like, for some reason, Willie Nelson fit with like my grandfather's collection of like Frank Sinatra and Mario Lanza and like these Italian yeah. crooners, but he really liked Willie Nelson as well, which never made sense to me. Um, so, well, that's, I think that's kind of artist he started off as. So it kind of, yeah, it makes, makes more sense than a lot of other country artists. He started as a songwriter and a vocalist that was more, I think, in that style than country. And I think that there's some crossover with Ray Charles, which is also someone my grandfather liked um, Mm -hmm. because of the country aspect. Ray Charles did some traditional country and, uh, I mean, has, you know, two albums, Modern Songs, Modern Sounds and Country and Western. And um, I'm getting off track here, but I really liked when she sang. Like, his... His voice is fine, um, Chris Ekman. Yeah. But I, I, I like it when they sing together, but I really like her voice because it just has this presence to it where it's it sounds like timeless to yeah. me. And that and the fact that they are clearly skilled at like putting these songs together. Some of them like I could if you had told me like they had written this and this is the original version, I'd be like, yeah, I, I would totally buy that because they just mm-hmm. sound so natural. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I like though about this is that it sounded like there were parts of it, like a song like um, "Feel Like Going Home," which is a Charlie Rich song, who was a, a country singer. Um and rockabilly and jazz and stuff. Uh, it almost sounded like Scott Walker. I don't know if you're familiar with Scott Walker, Jay, but like he was a, like a teen crooner in like the sixties. And then he started making like really eclectic and weird, like music that is very dark and, Mm. and, and really slow. And like, you can hear it as an influence upon like Nick cave and 
you know, Leonard Cohen is in that same vein, but he's even like darker than Leonard Cohen. And I, I find Scott Walker fascinating because he's just like he had this teen career where he was like had this big voice and he turned his back on all that and like turned into like this really eclectic and he's from Cincinnati. Mm. But he was huge in the UK. Um, with his like later career. So I liked hearing that aspect that they they didn't just do these as like straight Americana alt country folk songs, but brought in some like very subtle touches of other artists that you wouldn't necessarily connect to this. So that's that's the stuff that worked really well for me. Peter, what is the stuff that works? You mentioned this being one of your favorite bands. What what really like uh, uh, attracted you to this? So just before I do that, just just one thing that I was going to note. You mentioned Scott Walker and um, the second uh, set of cover versions that this band put out um, in two thousand, the Trade Leaves at Eight, uh, which is a collection of, of European uh, composers' uh, material. But the the second song on that is actually a cover of Scott Walker's Man from Reno. Oh. Okay, I think is from his kind of more kind of eclectic um, era of his career. Um, I remember my best friend commenting that he was amazed they managed to get a tune out of it when I played it to him. Um, but anyway, that's just a, just a kind of making that link. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I said, you know, I just I wanted to kind of go with this record because it's the place I started with this band. Um, you know, I think if you play, in some ways, I see this is a companion piece to the record that came before at new west motel uh, which is almost entirely uh, original material and is much more kind of rockist um a lot more kind of electric guitar um and it gets compared sometimes to crazy horse um and, hmm. and that kind of thing um and i didn't want to go with that just because i kind of thought it was just maybe just a tad bombastic for, for this purpose um so you know i kind of went with this record which which you know kind of led me down the the walkabouts rabbit hole um but you know the, i think you mentioned feel like going home tim and i think in some ways that is the song for me that probably convinced me that i wanted to hear more material from this band and in some ways it's got the most in common with a lot of other parts of their discography um you know it's probably the most cinematic track on the album. It's the kind of biggest sounding on the record. Um, That theme of kind of restlessness, kind of moving on, you know, leaving a town or city behind is something that permeates really kind of all their work, especially in the the 1990s. Whereas a lot of the songs in this album seem to kind of be more, you know, kind of traditional folk, socioeconomic songs about poverty and whatnot. So... So I would say that song is kind of the linchpin for me.
I like the whole record. I mean, I, I, I think it's aged really well. Um, you know, um, Jay mentioned the interplay between between the instruments, and, and you mentioned Carla's voice. And I would kind of argue the, the interplay between Carla's voice and the piano is is also something that is characteristic of their records, and, and something that I always like. Um, and you know, I think it's not hard to recognize that Carla is, from a kind of technical perspective, a more gifted singer than Chris Ekman. I don't think anybody would argue that. But um, I just like the kind of indifference in his voice. Um, you know, he just kind of sounds like he doesn't really care that much. Um, and, and I kind of like that kind of detached feeling. You, know, you sometimes get it from kind of Greg Dooley, I think, sometimes. And um, uh, I, I like that. So I kind of like the balance. It's usually, you know, usually the Walkabouts album is like 60% Carla vocals and about 40% Chris vocals. And I think that's probably been the right ratio. Yeah, that's interesting. His vocal reminded me, I mean... Uh, Mark Lanigan's on this record, but he re- it reminded me in that of that space that Mark Lanigan sings in on his solo stuff, like on the on the slow solo stuff, like the Winding Sheet and and the earlier records where he didn't wasn't using a lot of electronic uh, backing, like he would use on on Bubblegum and some other stuff later on, and it ha- he he doesn't quite have the the gravitas as Kiefer Sutherland would say. Uh, that Mark Lanigan hand, Mark Lanigan has a little bit more gravel in his vocal, but it's not far off from there in terms of um, what Lanigan does. And yeah, there's just, um, there's a mood to this record or, or uh, the majority of it that really sits well. This is not a record you're going to put on all the time. It doesn't suit every situation. You know, this isn't something you're going to put on at the gym, but um, it like Jay mentioned, like this is this was perfect. I had this on this morning, and I was like, "This is a perfect record to play when you're just sort of like sitting there with a cup of coffee and <laughs> staring out the window at the snow." And I was like, "This this is this sounds good for this moment right now." Jay, what did not work for you on this record? Uh, mostly, I think Chris vocal. Um, I think he sounds good on Free Money. You know, I think when. There's a little bit of distortion around him when the music's a little bit more, I guess, in a in a rock vein. I felt like it fit better. I think when they do the tr- very traditional stuff, she's just so much better and able to deliver that material, which really often requires a very strong vocal. Um, and he's just a little weak um, for that type of material. And I think when Mark Lanigan comes in, um, for feel feel like going home, it's just such a stark, like next level. Um, in terms of, uh, for a minute I thought it was him, and I was like, oh wow, I really like this side of his voice. And I was like, wait a minute, this is Mark Lanigan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know the second bar end. So, yeah, I, I, it's mostly that. It's mostly like material by his voice. Um, I think is when it's the weakest a good contrast is like dear darling and poor side of town of the town which are to me similar style songs but she sings one he sings the other and hers is just so much better why would you run a big star's above a thing of such beauty 
So yeah, that, that was probably my biggest uh, issue with the record. Yeah, I agree with you. There's a couple songs, like Poor Side of Town, where there's a heavy amount of reverb on his vocal. Yeah. And I didn't like that. Like, it just, yeah. it didn't work for me. Because even though this is, these are old, in a lot of cases, not in all the cases, but a lot of cases these are old covers. I mean, the, uh, a couple of these, like Loom of the Land is a Nick Cave cover. And Free Money, I believe, is a Patti Smith song. Um, yeah. A lot of these are like, you know, go back 20, 30 years in terms of being country songs. The Storms or the Ocean is a Carter family song. Excuse me. Um, and the production sounds, even though it's the the instrumentation is very traditional with like the lap steel and the harmonica and and stuff like that. It sounds crisp and modern. Like, if you put this out today, it would not sound aged. But that yeah. reverbed vocal, like, just did not sit with me well on, on when they used it on his vocal. It just sounded weird to me. Like, they were trying to make it sound aged, and it it didn't work because they didn't do it on everything. So when they did do it, it was it just didn't work for me. Um I felt like there were a couple times, you know, this is a long record in terms of it's um, about 60 minutes. And there were a couple times where I felt like they could have trimmed like a beginning or an end of a song. Uh, like Loom of the Land is a, is, a, is a good cover, but there's like the fade out on that song is like a minute. Yeah. I don't need a minute of fade out. Like you could have faded yeah. it out in 10 to 12 or 15 seconds. Yeah. And so that, I mean, it turns into a six minute long song, which is just a bit long of, of instrumental fade out on that track. Yeah. So those are like my nitpicky things. I, I don't feel like any of the songs like are, are woefully like mistake or woeful mistakes in terms of their choices of the covers or how they um, interpreted them. I feel like everything they did, like it all works together as a as a you know like a single sound throughout the whole record in terms of it's all unified. But it's just some production and some and some uh, editing choices I would have made differently to sort of shorten it up because it's just it's it's a a little long. Whereas yeah, the the source material that this is coming from in a lot of cases are vinyl records which are running like 40 minutes yeah and i feel like in a lot of cases those work better because they are shorter and you're only getting like four songs aside and um you can't drag it out to 60 minutes like you can on a cd yeah it sprawls i mean it's a full 60 minutes um so i hear you on that 
Peter, any uh, criticisms from you? I know you're a big fan, so you might not yeah. have any, but... Well, I would say, ironically, you know, when I kind of bought this record, it was, it was you know, 1999, back in the days where if a kind of record you know, piqued your curiosity, then you, and you didn't really know that much about the band, you had to kind of take a plunge and buy it, as opposed to today, you know, you can just sample sample all these things. Sure. But one of the, the clinchers for me, I think, I'd heard their cover version of On the Beach by Neil Young, uh, which is a, a fantastic cover version. Um um, that had made me curious about the band, um, but in in purchasing this and starting with this, "Loom of the Land," the Nick Cave song, uh, was something I really wanted to hear because I was I was very into Nick Cave at that point in my life, and um, it's never grabbed me. Um, even though that was kind of one of the reasons that that I purchased it, it just um, um, it just 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 never really stuck with me that that cover for whatever reason. You know, I think Nick Cave is probably quite a hard artist to cover. Um, so, you know, I would note that, and, you know, this band, um, kind of progressed and matured very rapidly, certainly kind of through the first decade and decade and a half that they were in existence. Um, you know, there's a couple of moments where, um, they're kind of, you know, the, the kind of sonic feel they had kind of earlier on comes more to the fore, um, in particular, I think Lover's Crime. And Shelter for the Evening. Um, and, you know, Shelter for the Evening in particular, I like it in the context of the record and I like it where it lands on the record round about midway through. Um, but I was just thinking today if if that track, which, you know, is kind of very uh, kind of rowdy and kind of barnstorming, sounds like everybody's had too much to drink kind of thing. If that song had been first on the record, then I might never have listened to another note of this band. So, hmm. um, interesting you know, sequencing is important, it is. So, this was a band that was on Sub Pop, and, and this is 1993. They did have another record you mentioned that uh, also came out, which was uh, New West Motel. I don't know if that did anything in terms of you know, uh, you know, Sub Pop obviously had a a cachet at that point where if it was on sub pop, it was like a big deal in 1993. I mean, this is two years after Nirvana. So like people were pretty like interested in the label, but I don't recall anything going on in terms of like radio station publicity about this or, or the previous record. Um, And I would imagine like, this is a weird thing to sell because country radio at the time is like garth brooks and um you know clint black and how do you sell satisfied mind to you know cmt or or you know country music stations that are playing the thunder rolls and the boot scoot boogie and achy breaky heart like where does where does this fit in in 1993 is the question yeah this seems ahead of its time like this is something that i guess i could hear later after the all country thing kind of took off yeah that sub pop would get into at that point it seems really early for them to be involved and for for this not just type of band but for them to be covering this type of material like it just seems at least five years if not 
more ahead of where everybody else was. Yeah, I would imagine that the the radio department and the publicity department were probably scratching their heads <laughs> why uh why why Bruce Pavitt and and Poneman uh signed the band and were like, "What are we supposed to do with this?" <laughs> Cuz it's like there's not a great I mean college radio probably supported this because college radio is much more open especially at this time to playing a more eclectic stuff and I I'm getting I'm or I'm guessing like the specialty shows probably would would play this and you know CMJ probably covered it but um I don't know I I don't know anything about the history and like if they were doing a lot of touring or if they were pretty much a Seattle band like it's that's it's really interesting i want to like dig in a little bit when i have time and well i i i mean that was before i had really you know got into the band or, or knew about the band but i really suspect that even at that point in 1993 their focus was almost entirely in europe and and the market there okay uh, because they released this in 93 sending woods on fire in 94 and then Devil's Road, which came out in '95, um, at least in Europe. Uh, I don't know about its US release, but that was on Virgin Records. So they made made two records for Virgin Records, and, and that first one, Devil's Road, um, certainly had some success in Germany. Um, so I I suspect that was kind of where they they focused and, and devoted their energies, and and probably I've never looked into it, but I you know I imagine that they're their stateside touring schedules were, were pretty sparse. Okay. So I, I need to check out that other covers record. If they covered on the beach by Neil Young, cause no, no. So on the beach is on, is, um, on a compilation called, uh, death Valley days. Um, oh, okay. Uh, and then the other, the second covers record is called the train leaves to eight is, is all European based artists songs and that came out in 2000. So that's one with the Scott Walker cover. Gotcha. Jay, if you're not familiar, there's a Scott Walker documentary that you should uh-huh. watch. Cause there's a song where he, for percussion purposes, he punches a slab of beef. Okay. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> like they mic a, they mic a slab of beef and he punches it to get the per, the percussion. And it's, it's awesome. Like you're like this is the craziest thing I've ever seen, but it's a really like good Rocky. Per- yeah. Okay. But it's a great percussion sound. It's like really like, boof. Like you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's give our our ratings on this record, Jay. Where the album, better EP, decent single. Where do you land? Uh, I think I'm at an EP. You know, I I think I would pull. Is it Carla? Um, all of her songs and keep free money and feel like going home. Uh, try to get it down to maybe a 30 to 40 minute EP. Um, and I think I would uh, enjoy it quite a bit. I think it's a worthy album, but I think you need to cut like three, three to four songs, like a nine to 10 song album to me would be much more palatable and I would I would like to keep a, I would like to keep feel like feel like going home. I think that's if not the best one of the best songs on the on the album, but it's eight minutes long. But mm-hmm. I want to figure out to a way to <laughs> to make this a vinyl record that makes sense. So I might have to cut like four songs to do that. But um, there there are a few I actually like it when they are mellow and not when they get like up tempo. 
Yeah. When there when there's a bit of like a shuffle to the song, it doesn't work as well to me for me because it mm-hmm. reminds me of like a lesser Jayhawks song or something like that. Yeah. And they work really well in that like very uh, uh, like morose kind of you know gothic kind of sound that that works really well. Yeah. Um. So I would say worthy album, but needs some some trimming peter were the album yeah well i you know we're talking about the 1990s here and um, yes yes you know i, I kind of feel that's that's a, a slightly unfair criticism to, to make of records made in Aida. but yeah i mean I, you know i kind of I agree with you guys i think um if they they could have certainly kind of shaved off a couple of songs um you know if you if you go through this band's discography I, i'm pretty sure that there's 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 very little that comes in below like 57 minutes. Um, you know, they, they made pretty long records. Um, but yeah, I could certainly kind of lose a couple of songs, but you know, I would kind of say a, a modern day length album um, rather than a kind of, you know, 1990s sprawling 60, 63 minute epic. For the record over at Patreon, the vote was split 50, 50 between better EP and decent single. I don't know who voted for decent single, but I I would say that you're wrong about that. <laughs> I think there's more than one good song or two good songs on this on this record. But if Americana folk country is not your thing, I could see where you know you might not enjoy it. So I'm not saying who it was, but I have some ideas who might have voted for for decent single. The name might start with Scott. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we have a couple of them, but I... do. I'm not narrowing it down. Just guessing it might be a Scott. Peter, thank you so much. This has been... We've got three really interesting records that all in their own way are... You know, you, you take the Mannix, This Is My Truth, Tell you Me Yours, which is potentially their... Most mellow, besides like rewind the film, that that might be their most mellow record, and then uh, you know, Everclear by American Music Club. This is a nice little collection of I would say like mellower records that you have built up here on your uh, on your guest page. People are going to be curious what you're what you've got coming up next year. Yeah, so maybe I need to. Go and pick out some Slayer or something for next <laughs> No, and you got your sound now. See, yeah, just made a couple picks now. There, there's a there's a pattern that emerges. You've nice. got a nice corner of the of the of the dig me out, you know, web presence. And You're kind of like on our our uh, all country Americana. Yeah. yeah, with a slice of, with a slight slice of Britpop, depending on yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it all comes together. I actually discovered this band because I'd gone to visit my friend because we were going to go and see the Manics on the This Is My Truth tour, and he had um, um, a magazine that came free with Uncut, uh, a CD that came free with Uncut magazine called uh, New Sounds of the Old West, um, and it had the On the Beach cover on it. So I actually discovered this band through my Manics fandom. From there you Manics. go. Nice. So it all comes together. It all comes together. Hey, I need to remind folks, 
uh, Patreon is where you go, like Peter, to support the podcast. You can join for as little as two bucks a month. You get one of our sweet Dig Me Out Union stickers, and you can vote in polls. You can leave comments for our episodes. You can join us at multiple levels, which include uh, picking our roundtables, which we just had our both of our February and March roundtables were just selected thanks to a tie. We decided rather than do a runoff, the tie is just picking the first two roundtables of the year. So the one will be coming up shortly, and then our next uh, for for March has also been selected as well. Uh, we just have to, yeah, I think we've got the topics chosen for both of those as well. Um, you can vote in our '80s polls. We'll have the uh, '80s episodes every other month, six this year, and uh, you can get sweet swag like T-shirts that uh, say our name on them. Not our names, personal, our person name, but our, our website name. <laughs> you, can get, uh, you get a t-shirt that just says Tim. Tim, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the guitar company? Nope. It's uh, it's Tim from Dig Me Out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't spell it cool like the guitar company does. Yeah. Uh, and if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at Apple Podcasts. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash digmeout and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. Down to reprobate